up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Hold My Bread. I'm your host, Matt Packus, with your other host, as always, the gluten gl- the gluten gang leader, it's hard to say, uh, himself, it's Joel Wolkowski. Joel, hello. Gluten gang leader. Gluten gang leader. Gluten gang leader. Gluten gang leader. What is up, <laughs> breadheads? Gather round. Join the gluten gang for what time is it? Check your watch. It is time to carbo load. Welcome to Hold My Bread, the... This is the part of the episode where I normally check what our stock portfolio is worth. And that stock portfolio is married to the vulturous, the evil, the funded by the titans of the economic industries to aggregate our information and bet against us. However, I've... I'm out in Arizona, it's 108 degrees today, and my battery has exploded, separated my screen from my phone. So we're, I, I know this podcast is worth about $3,200. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, welcome uh, to all our old listeners and huge shout out to all our new listeners. If you found us, we've gotten some great, great, great press uh, the last couple of days and uh, weeks. So if you're new, we appreciate that. Um, very yeah, excited. Um, we got we got mentioned in Vulture yesterday. Usually, I only get love from vultures when they're circling overhead during my hikes. I am very dehydrated. I'm coming to you from Sedona, Arizona, where it is 110 degrees, and you know the Arizonans are using that as an excuse not to wear their face masks. Matt, uh, and to our old listeners, I know. We kind of rolled with the punches of this quarantine. Our tech wasn't ideal, but Matt is away from his mom's terrible Indiana internet, and he's back yeah. in New York, and he's looking, I'm going to say, alarmingly tan. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, I'm back in Brooklyn. I, um, I'm i sure my tan won't last long, though. I'm back in my bunker in uh, in Bushwick. But uh, yeah, I was outside. I mean, when I was in Indiana, I was outside all day, every day. Um, getting tan. So I, uh, I'm very tan. I like to be tan. I, I'm a tan man. You know, what can I say? <laughs> He's a tan man. What can he say? He was helping people move. And I got the feeling that he, it was a girl. No, it wasn't a girl. It actually turned out to be, uh, I originally, it started with a buddy of mine asking me to help him move. And I was like, yeah, you're my buddy. I'll help you move. And then as we were driving to the spot, it was like, well, you're not helping me move. We are helping two people move. And he didn't know that it was a moving job that we were doing. And, uh, but they, I got paid. They paid us $250 each uh, for about two hours of work. And they were so close to Rockaway that as soon as we were done, we got uh, in the ocean and swim in the ocean. So it was great. I had a pocket full of money, uh, an ass full of sand. No complaints from me yesterday. Yeah, I'm getting smarter and smarter. I could, took one look at Matt's complexion, and I knew he'd been to the beach. Yeah. So <laughs> I do have this caveat. Now that you've entered the workforce of people who do labor for a living, I was a mover for five years. You can't tell from the timber of my Michigan accent, but I'm a big <laughs> man. I'm 6'3", 215, covered in muscles. I have as much muscles as I don't have hair, and... I feel like being a mover, it's the male equivalent to being a stripper because you can have moved on from that station in life. (laughs) You can, I haven't been a mover in eight years, but in the minds of my peers and my community, I'm still a mover. I'll never be anything but a mover. And that's why I have that take. (laughs) Uh, Well, there are male strippers, so I don't know if that works, but um, also uh, the guy I was with uh, helping move Ronnie, he was like, he was like, yo, we made, this was like easy money and we made money like pretty, it was pretty good. It was an easy move, no complaints. And I had, had to keep telling myself and him that like, this was probably best case scenario and this lifestyle is not sustainable. So like, if you call me for another move, don't be surprised if I say no, because it was not, uh, not ideal. Yeah. But you know what? You're there. You're, you might put some weight on that feeble frame of yours. I know you've got, you might've burned your bridge with your gym back in Bushwick. So, whatever. So let's get yeah. into the market, baby. We're yeah, in a we- financial apocalypse. We haven't realized it yet, but things look pretty bad. But there is some good news. And if you were one of the prescient investors who got in on the Kodak stock this week, I want to congratulate you on committing insider trading. 
Well, uh, hey, uh, look, I'll put it to you this way. I did not insider trade, but I made $100 off that Kodak deal. You made $100 off the Kodak deal? Yeah, I woke up early and I saw the news and I checked the price and the price was like at $27 uh, or like maybe closer to 30. And I bought $500 worth of Kodak, watched it climb and climb and climb. It climbed up to about 47. And once I had about $102 of profit, I was like, I'm going to sell. I don't trust it. And I sold it. And uh, if you check it today, Kodak has dropped to like 20 something dollars. So I made a quick hundred dollars before I even got out of bed. So we're getting very good at this. We, well, the thing is we're getting good at this, but we're, we're kind of branching off. I see us developing and taking kind of developing different tracks as investors. Like I'm kind of becoming a real buy and hold disciple. I'm becoming uh, a really adherent to Burton Malkiel and the, you know, like philosophies from my robo advisor. I'll get into that in a little bit. But whereas Matt, I see you, you kind of react to the news and you play the game as quickly as you can based on like, whatever information is available to consumers. Right. I'm a real smash and grab investor. I'm really, I'm really trying to mix it up. I'm trying to, I'm trying to break windows, take what's mine and get out before anyone sees me. Um, yeah. He only trades on the Minneapolis stock exchange. <laughs> How are we? Hey, Oh uh, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I consider that's very lucky. I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think you're right though. I do like that. Uh, that I, I try and I try and invest like the everyman would invest. You know, I try and listen. I got my ear to the streets. I'm taking the news when I can. But you're absolutely right. There has been criminal activity in Kodak. Uh, the SEC doesn't care about insider trading apparently anymore. So if the you have SEC any tips. The SEC doesn't care about insider trading. Insider trading, it's more or less legal for our uh, congressmen right now. But even at its most uh, high level, it was only made illegal for our representatives in 2012. And like, People talk about how Obama was pro Wall Street, but you know the legislation he did. He slapped on a couple things for Wall Street, and the Democrats are still dealing with it to this day. So, the Kodak share surged. They got a government contract from one. Uh, what's his name? Donald Donald to Rumpus, and basically they've got these factories in Rochester in a couple other Rust Belt towns and they're going to pivot to become manufacturers for pharmaceuticals. Yeah, it's just crazy because uh, if you look at what they were a couple of weeks ago, they were trading it maybe even less than $2 a share and within no time uh they jumped crazy 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 high. Um it's unheard of the stock jumped that much that quickly and there's no way i haven't seen a list of it yet but there's no way that there weren't congress people that took advantage of that supposedly there's one guy whose name i have right here um well i just have him as james uh contenza bought forty-seven thousand shares of kodak on june 23rd um i mean if that's not suspicious I don't know what is. What would make him do that? What would make him spend $47,000 on a stock that is $2 uh, on, a, on a format that no one even... Kodak. I mean, who would have guessed Kodak? Uh, next, you're going to be telling me, uh, you know, uh, Blockbuster is going to be a huge stock buy. They're going to invest in Blockbuster to, uh, to have um, a pharmaceutical company, uh, come out of them. So I don't Yeah, We're going to give out the vaccines and old VHS boxes. You know, <laughs> we need to make use of this existing infrastructure. Really? This seems like it's forward thinking, but it's just treating our manufacturing economy like a flea market. And this gets praised like an innovative deal. Not only did Kodak's number one co former competitor, Fujifilm do the same transition a few years back, but Kodak itself actually founded a pharmaceutical company in 1994 and sold it for $1.7 billion. Um, I'm sorry, $2.95 billion because it was making a billion a year. And, you know, they've done this. This is in their history. This is very much in Kodak's DNA to make this sort of pivot. So I don't see it as the sort of groundbreaking deal that... It's being offered upon. 
it's kind of interesting because a couple of weeks ago we did uh we've done a lot of talking about bankruptcies and Kodak is a 132 year old company. They're very big in upstate New York. Um, and they filed for bankruptcy in 2012. So to file for bankruptcy in 2012, and then you're granted this huge sum of money by the government and this huge influx of cash from, and from, from stock market, uh, people that are buying into this is quite the turnaround from 2012. You know, the, there's obviously the whole issue of nobody's using film as much anymore and, and the merging of phones and cameras that obviously hurt them a lot. So, and we've talked about this a lot on the pod, like, it is good to be a baby boomer for a lot of reasons. You have social security, you have pension. But, you know, if we had a young person in office, they would not view Kodak as some sterling brand that needed to be saved or even mattered in the least. You can't tell me Andrew Yang or even Marco Rubio, anyone with like a, a, a semblance of understanding of how technology relates to our current life. Like, I don't think they would even see Kodak as something that deserves a lifesaver. It's a dinosaur, what it exists, and like, dude, Kodak, you might have this temporarily used for your manufacturing, but your future, your Polaroid, you're being sold at Spencer's Gifts, and film, manufacturing of pharmaceuticals, I'm glad it's being done stateside, but this story reeks to high heaven of collusion, and it's being sold to the public as a triumph of American entrepreneurship, saving one of our most prescient brands. Give me a break. Well, you know what else is interesting is Fuji Films. Fuji, the, I don't know what it is with these camera companies turning and pivoting to um, pharmaceuticals, but Fuji was also given a, uh, a grant from the government, uh, $265 million federal loan for COVID-19 vaccine development. So uh, they're developing photos no more than developing vaccines as we speak. Yeah, and like... I know we're all having to budget, especially if you're unemployed like me and Maddie here and like, oh, how are we going to survive without $600 a month? And meanwhile, the government is handing out flyers for anyone with a chance of developing a vaccine. Like there's probably about 40 to 50 companies in the U.S. right now. And I think that's a little problematic. So and like at the same time, we see all the investigations of the fraud on the PPP loans. How about my dude in Florida? accepted $4 million and then was caught three months later after purchasing a Lamborghini. You love to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just so insane to, uh, cause if you, I'm looking too here at, uh, I don't even know what you would call this, but there's the, the trade volume. You can look at the trading volume of, uh, of how much was traded July 24th, 74,000, July 23rd, 80,000, July 22nd, 52,000. But then you jump back up to July 28th, 284,666,800 trade volume. Uh, and it was in the, I mean, it's just gone, it's gone down since then, obviously. It peaked, at, it peaked on that July 20, uh, 20th date. But that the jump in volume of trades is insane. Now, obviously, once the news breaks, that's how I heard out about it. Heard about it. So once the news broke, you know, the trade volume increases. But to see that big of a jump is there's no way there isn't something fishy going on. And it just goes back to a thing we talked about before, where if you want to be rich or if you want to get rich, uh, hopefully you're rich to start. Because if you're rich, you have uh, the inside information. Uh, it's it's just disgusting, and I hate it, and I'm jealous that I can't take part. And let's give Maddie some props there. Not only did we do our episode on reading charts last week, but my guy here underneath the shadow of a bicycle, I can see it on Zoom. I know you're listening, you can't. <laughs> but he used information that we talked about last week. If you look at the charts, it is all about the volumes traded. That's and actually right. I didn't even think about it, but you're absolutely right. We that, <laughs> I didn't even realize I was doing that. Fuck yeah. That's right, bro. And here's here's the thing. The government's coming after people who abuse their PPP loans, but you know it's not like they abused these loans while the American public was depending on them for good health advice, for good guidance, and the, the insider trading committed by Congress people back in January and then probably again now in July is much worse. Absolutely. I mean, that guy, you, you brought up that story about that guy buying, buying the Lamborghini, which who, I mean, I've never been even that close to a Lamborghini. So, but that guy is going to get in a ton of trouble. And of course, as always, 
uh, Kelly Loeffler and, and all those other people are, they're not going to be, they're going to be fine. I mean, they might have to go deal with some hassle and litigation, but I don't think anything's going to happen. Yeah, no, I don't even think they'll deal with litigation. How how are we expected to like have something meet the court in the current stands? Elon Musk has been in more trouble for tweets he sent out than these people have. Uh, it's just crazy. It's like I've said before on this podcast, and I know Elon Musk is he gets more controversial every day, but he tweets something and, and the SEC slaps him with a big fine because it affects the stock price and the stock market. But Donald Trump and all these other people do things that affect the stock market in even greater ways. And there's no repercussions. It's just so corrupt. Yeah. And I mean, uh, that's what di- this podcast is about. Trying to take advantage of that for me. Well, and it's just like learning how it, 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 things operate above our pay grade because it gets murky and you see our leaders, they're ultimately just out for themselves. So you got to act the same way. And like, if you're a new listener, me, I changed my life by investing instead of paying off my student loans. It's the only smart thing I've ever done. So we're, we're of the mindset that you treat yourself like an asset here. Yeah. And of course, and I'm, I, I'm espousing these, um, this advice preaching financial responsibility. But the fact of the matter is, I've got $500 going on a basketball game right now. Go Suns. Hey, but yeah, yeah, we love the Suns. Oh, yeah, and you're in Phoenix too, so you're, that's your home team right now. Um, I'm cool because it's interesting because I've done podcasts and I've talked to people and they talk about how like, you know, I feel like a little bit judged by this podcast because people judge investing negatively and it's disgusting in corporate America. And it's like, all that stuff is very true. This stuff is gross, but it's also like, I am going to, you're going to take it. These, all these rich people high up are taking advantage of us. And I'm trying to get my piece of the pie because I'm not going to let this happen. It's going to happen regardless. I might as well benefit from uh, what I can. That's the yeah, way I look at it. And this podcast, I mean, it's no different than any of it. of us has gotten radicalized over the past year. Like we started this podcast last September and we were joking about, we want to write letters to Martin Shkreli. And now, like, we're talking about Robinhood being exploitive, exploitative in trading their options. And I don't see that story being reported anywhere else. We're deep diving into how many shares and of what Kelly Leffler traded. I don't see that story being reported. So there's corruption all around us. And the fact is, I'm with some boomers right now. I'm with my fiance's parents. If you're watching cable news you're getting a commercial for the establishment. Like I'm out here in Arizona and there was a, a claim, a mega church had a Trump rally and they said that they developed technology that killed the coronavirus in the air supply. And this is an absolutely specious claim. It's totally irresponsible to give, but this was reported on the, the news in Arizona without a grain of salt. Very serious. So there's people walking around right now that believe that. There's people no longer walking around right now because they believe that. (laughs) Uh, It's actually a much better way to put that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, Also, Arizona, I don't feel like they have the thinnest population. There's people probably rolling around in scooters that believe that. (laughs) They're either either very thin or very round. It's 109 (laughs) degrees here, and I just drove past someone hitchhiking. It's a real Laurel and Hardy of a place. (laughs) (laughs) What an old reference. They, they either eat laurels or they're very hearty. So we did have a, a huge, we have like the big giants have been all over the news today. And Amazon had their earnings yesterday. They were expected to earn $1.46 per share. Instead, they earned $10.30 per share, which is about eight times what expectations were. Huge, blown out of the water. That increased their stock prices by an insane amount. I mean, it's crazy to see what a share of, of Amazon right now is over three grand. It's just insane. And it's it's okay, but we had these 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 meetings with the tech giants on Capitol Hill remotely, which I think it's great. They just made all the Congress people show up, and then they just needed to fire up their Zoom. So. Even these tech guys, they don't answer to anybody. Oh, nice, nice rebound, DeAndre Ayton. So (laughs) 
It is dangerous because we're at a point right now where 23% of the U.S. market as a whole, about just under a quarter, is five different companies. And it's Amazon, Facebook, Google. But my problem here is only one of the companies makes anything. <laughs> it's the fa- it's Fang stocks. It's all the Fang stocks. Uh, I mean, well, which one of those companies makes things? Apple. Well, I mean, I feel like Google. Google is Google is huge. They're I mean, they're everywhere. They're making. I don't. I don't know if they're still making their phones, but the cloud. Google is investing highly in the cloud and virtual reality. When all that shit starts to become popular, Google is going to be. Uh, Google is going to be so much more powerful than they already are in a couple of years. I guarantee it. Yeah, and, but the, there is like a gap here that I think the tech giants are are going to continue to take advantage of. And like we saw these in the social media hearings, like there is an age gap between our leaders and the people who are forging ahead with our major industries, and they're just too old to understand what's even going on here. That is a that's a very good point. Like there were the social media hearings last year and like Congress people stopped to ask, how do I like a post? What is poking? So these are literally the questions you would get for your grant from your grandparents. And they're being asked on Capitol Hill as they're trying to regulate an industry that's out of control. By pe- not only are they old boomer, older people that don't quite understand, but they're old people that are in charge of a lot of money and a lot of lives and a lot of, uh, our day-to-day is affected by them and they don't even know how to get into Zoom. Yeah, and it, it's cool that these are American companies, but what's not great is censoring people, trying to impact elections. And you know what? At this point, there probably needs to be some intervention, but who has the faith in the government to do anything at this point in time? Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, absolutely. If that's that's just one of the many things that we've learned during the coronavirus is uh, the fact that, you know, people genuinely believed, I think, for a long time that you can trust the government or not even that you could trust them, but you can at least rely on them to 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 have the best interests of the people in, in mind. And it's clear that that's not the case uh, with the way that this whole coronavirus thing has been handled. So, yeah, I mean, we'd be better off if we bought if we bought bullish options on cynicism at the beginning of the pandemic. That's the only way we could have made this work. <laughs> Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I just opened up my own personal portfolio today and the last couple of days, I feel like I've been in the red the last couple of days. And, uh, you know, I think we talked about it in the last couple episodes about you can't panic. Some days are red and some days are, are green, but, uh, it seems like it's a couple of days in a row in the red and that's just not never a good feeling. It's never a good seat feeling, but you know the bounce back is coming. And that's in response to these hearings. That's, that's in response to the unemployment numbers. But the fact of the matter is, if a company is based in America, they're probably trading a little high right now. If it's not Amazon or Facebook or one of these big conglomerates, the fact is that I think we're going to see a lower earnings reports across the board. There's so many people out of work. Mm-hmm. And like, forgive me, I'm going to butcher this last name, but you shouldn't make someone for make fun of someone for mispronouncing anything because it means they read it from reading, learned it from reading. So David Cicilline, Democrat from Rhode Island, says, our founders would not bow before a king, nor should we bow before the, the emperors of this online economy. And I think that's a wonderful sentiment. Wow, that's uh, very wow. Yeah, I've never I've never heard that before. That's where did you read that? That was in a Washington Post article that kind of summed up summed up the different hearings. What Zuckerberg said, what Amazon said, what Apple said, and really it is uh, David Cicilline who's leading the charge on this whole thing, and he's young enough to actually understand what's going. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah, like it, even that's not being reported on because like the next generation of political superstars has been founded during this wave, but they they haven't been brought to national attention yet. I, it, well, and it goes back to, we're almost in a, I mean, I guess we're constantly in a state of uh, change, but it's like, there is a point where, you know, the, the older people will be out and hopefully the people they're replaced with are, are more, 
I don't know if progressive is the right word, but uh, it's just going to, we're just constantly in a state of flux and a state of change when it comes to this sort of stuff. And, it, you know, it's, it's weird for us to rely on industry leaders for our, for our ethics. And let's call this phase two. A few weeks ago, we talked about how very quietly the big money was campaigning actively under the presumption that Biden had already won. And they were mm-hmm. trying to stop Elizabeth Warren from being made a uh, secretary of the treasury. And you know what this big drop in the market is? That's because of Biden's big lead in the polls. Right. That's uh, I got into an argument uh, before I flew back here when everyone talks about all I'm saying is when Joe Biden wins, uh, the economy is going to tank. And it's like it's goes it's back to when like all the stuff that Barack Obama did. He set up all these these dominoes in place when he was president and then the payoff, he wasn't around for the payoff. So then Donald Trump got to take credit for all that. All this shit that's happening now, the fallout for that is potentially going to not, is going to happen when he's no longer in office. And therefore all this shit's going to hit the fan. It's going to be worse than it could have been. And then if Joe Biden is in office, he's going to be the one that is left holding the bag. And he's the one that's going to be like, look what's happening that he's been elected, but all the stuff was put in motion years ago. And this notion, I mean, obviously I'm informed by my leftist beliefs, but there is a notion that the economy thrives under the the right. However, that's not the case. Like the first decade of the 2000s, the U.S. markets lagged as a whole under George Bush. And you know what else? We had the the dot-com pop. We had the 2008 recession. All that was under Republican leadership. And you know what, let's go one further. Black Monday, 1987, under Republican leadership. So, I mean, they are going against Biden, but like, look, I'm studying to be an analyst and to see that the field, like Wall Street analysts, the heart and soul of our country is now at stake and they're advising their clients that a Biden presidency would not be good for the stock market. Shit, dog. I want money as much as anybody, but I'd also like to live in a functional country. That's what's the, absolutely. That's what's the craziest thing. One of the craziest things about it is people are so greedy about making money that they're willing to sacrifice anything they can. And it becomes a point where it, that can't be the case. You can't be willing to sacrifice all. It's, it's just so insane. You're at, I agree a hundred percent with you. I mean, and th- 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 there is something, but You know what? If we go back to the data, there is some truth that when the White House flips from Republican to Democrat, the S&P 500 underperforms over the following quarter. That's only one quarter. Like, they obviously rebound. The S&P 500 generally rebounds when it it lags in, in growth. But this is not related to individuals. This is related to rolling back Donald, Donald Trump's signature tax cut, which boosted corporate profits. Yeah, and there's so many things, examples of that. I, I mean, there's so many examples of like just him pushing away and rolling back years and years of different policies that have just made people fortunes in a short amount of time. Uh, and people uh, are not excited about that, even though it's, he's, it's, I mean, the environment and the, and the Paris Agreement and pulling out of all these things have affected the market in ways that, I mean, I don't think we've even begun to, to see the effects of. And meanwhile, we talk about how we are facing, how we might be having a bubble. You know, things seem a little overinflated. And, you know, some, some of our biggest institutional investors are sitting this out while we go on to Robin Hood and we boost the economy ourselves. So Warren Buffett, probably the most famous investor in the outside of uh, Mr. X or on Billions, he, he has something called the Buffett indicator, <laughs> indicator, and that divides the combined market cap of publicly traded U.S. companies by quarterly gross domestic product. And it's the best single measure of where valuations stand at any moment in time. That's been his stance. He's, this, he's gone by this for decades. And right now, 
we are at a record for the Buffett indicator. We are 170%. And the only other times it's reached this, this point in time, it has been before the dot-com crash and before the 2008 recession. So if you were to look at those indications, dark times could very well be ahead. Well, it's like everything with the economy and with this. It's like something, you know, these people are wrong. Warren Buffett has been wrong about things before. Um, nothing yeah, is living in, in Omaha your entire adult life. That's not a good decision. There are other places <laughs> you have money. What, you want to meet Jack Comstock? Here, here's how shitty of a city Omaha, Nebraska is. Jack Comstock is a respected comedian there. <laughs> and if you are uh, a listener... Um, and you don't know who Jack Comstock is, that's correct. <laughs> uh, Jack is a good friend of ours. Uh, he will never be on this podcast, but he is a good... Actually, was he on... Have, we haven't had him on, have we? He might, might have wandered in looking for a Frisbee or a resin hit at some point, but that's about <laughs> the height of his potential you know, contributions to this podcast. You know what? It, it is crazy because like we've spent three months hearing about how high these stock prices are, how good the economy is. Do you know a single individual who's doing well? No, all my friends are losers. Yeah, I mean, even like the people who are thriving, their lives are miserable. Right. Even the people that are doing well are, are still very, they're not happy. But it goes back to one of my favorite era, uh, Nick Griffin jokes where he says people say money can't buy you happiness but at least you can be depressed in a nice apartment and that's really informed my whole life i would just like to be sad in a mansion you know and that is true family guy is hilarious is that a family guy joke no you said nick griffin and that was the son from family guy for you guys who didn't know nick griffin is a very respected comedian very much the anti-jack comstock and you know what he made some smart financial decisions because he based his life in maine <laughs> and uh, um, you, you know what, Matt, what else think, we got yeah hold on we have to reach the annual part of the podcast where you fill time while i go pee in the bushes oh okay great bush time with uh joel um all right we'll get out of here go pee so i can I'm gonna, this is the time i tell secrets to the listeners well so i like this because it's kind of like i have my own segment um if you remember last week i told you how i did a little sneaky and i went behind joel and um for my personal portfolio even though we rail against carnival cruise lines on this podcast i think cruise lines are terrible they're disgusting um i went <clears throat> and i bought uh carnival cruise line stock last week and it has dropped significantly in that time so gabby hello gabby has sat down hi bud what's up i like your hat Thanks. Yeah. How's it's a very, very Phoenixy hat. Um, I'm pretty okay. All the time. I, I'm just, I've just been at fit there. Don't be so defensive about your hat. Okay. Um, I'm not an Arizonan, just to be clear. Where are you? I'm saying I'm not becoming an Arizonan. Oh, yeah. No, I can tell. You don't look, le you're not leathery. Your skin looks nice. You don't look leathery yet. You look very, you have a glow to you. Um, thanks. Do you have anything you'd like to say about the Kodak deal that's happened recently? Um... No. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, you, this no, is actually a good guest. Good friend of the pod. Yeah. Good friend of the pod. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. This was my my secret little segment. So I thank you for taking part in that. Yeah. I have to, uh, I think I am a good friend of the pod because I, I stopped Joel from making, spending a lot of money. Yes. That is, think about that how is much what... more money Joel would spend if I wasn't here. It's true. You're him. a good, you're a good, uh, I don't know what it's called, advisor. a governor. You're, you're the governor. We I'm call you the governor. Okay, I'm the governor, the financial advisor, maybe. Yeah, oh, I, I like, you have your rebel, rebel David Bowie shirt on. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> bye, Matt. I love you. Uh, bye. Uh, Joel, welcome back. What a world. Someone took my seat in the pod. I know. I was doing my little secret time segment and she popped in. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm editing that that, that out for sure. Mm. Um, you, I think it's on that wall. Sorry, guys. Okay, we are back, 
And, you know, we did, we did kind of have prep a big picture conversation based with things that are going on. So I personally think that the bubble will burst. And the thing is, I have most of my money traded with a robo advisor. I use Wealthfront, random walk down Wall Street author, Burton Malkiel is their CEO. So I called up my, the people in charge of my money yesterday. And I said, you know what? Values are going to go down one time cash out. Can we do it? And their answer was a resounding no, because you can be like Matt and you can react and you can make money on trades. But when you are building an entire portfolio, and this is something where I put my extra couple hundred bucks at the end of every month, my entire working life. And they said, you know what? It's a long-term goal. We are holding, we are bogleheads here. And you know what we have going? When you have a, a portfolio like this that's spread across, across six different markets, US stocks, global stocks, natural resources, emerging markets, and I think a few might be in international con- con- currencies, it's a, you can't really just cash out. You have to stay the course. And a lot of that is due to a pretty cool thing, diversification. Matt, do I mean, you know what the efficient market theory is? I am not familiar. I wish you would teach me. Okay, so basically, efficient market says all share prices reflect all the information. Whatever you know is already put into the price, and it hypothesizes that stocks, they genuinely, they trade at fair market value, which doesn't apply to like pre-IPO stuff, like which drove up the Beyond Burger price when it opened. And... From this, it's just like have a passive portfolio, buy and hold, and you know it's possible to beat the market if stocks deviate from their fair market values. So I I love it. That's great. Very that not too hard to understand actually. It been this kind of boils down to diversification and diversification. You know you smooth out the risk events that are. Thank you, baby. I love you that you're going to encounter either way. So, you know, something like COVID, that'll have an effect. But the idea behind diversification is you have another investment that will benefit from something that will negatively, like, impact your other investments. Right. It's about balance. One goes down, the other goes up. Yeah. And, like, a lot of studies have, have, have gone in, like, a lot of the like very basic academic studies of economics there to say that you can make more if you increase your risk. And what diversification does, it allows you to take on less risks while still being able to maintain the, the return you'd like. So this kind of breaks down, like it was written up in walk down Wall Street as the umbrellas resorts corollary. You are participating in an island economy, Matt. You can either invest in a hotel resort with jet skis, with bars. You can drink out of a coconut. You could invest there, or you could invest in an umbrella stand. So what would you invest in? I mean, I feel like I'm going to, I feel like I should say the umbrella stand, but I really want to invest in the the hotel with, I want to ride on my jet skis with my coconut drink and I want to, I want to do the hotel. And here's what you do. You don't invest in the hotel. You don't invest in the umbrella. You invest in both because, you know, if, if things are great for the hotel, if the weather's cooperating, people are going to be using that hotel, but if things don't go great for that hotel, if they see a hurricane, people are going to be buying umbrellas from that umbrella manufacturer. So you've arranged, if you invest in both, you have arranged your portfolio in such a way that you will meet a favorable outcome regardless of what happens. This just kind of sounds like a monopoly with extra steps. It is kind of a monopoly and it plays out in our market because 
Like if, if, if there's a lot of faith in the U.S. market, there's going to be more trading on stocks. And we've hit the, the point where we've only been trading stocks, 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 stocks. But at a lot of point in our history, you know, bonds, if you were to only do bonds, you would guarantee a 9% return. So the idea is you kind of want to do a 60-40 stock bond split, and then you'll be set up to be good either way because bonds will gain a certain amount. And then if you still have the stocks, you won't lose out on any crazy growth in the market. That's interesting. So, I mean, I learned about the first time I heard diversification was the way most of us probably heard it was when I saw that Chappelle show sketch Wu-Tang Financial. Um, And I didn't, I don't think I've done a very good job of my personal portfolio of diversification. Now I am diverse in the fact that I have like some tech stocks, uh, some um, commodities um, and I have a couple um, smaller, you know, pharmaceuticals. I, I do believe that that's a, that's a decent way to diversify, but the, the idea of doing uh, stocks and bonds is that's, that's a new level that I have not done yet. And I think I should definitely look into it. Yeah. And it was funny. I was, I reread uh, chapter eight and, of the random walk down wall street and he Burton writes, all investors are like my wife. They've got big juicy cans. No, no. It says all investors are <laughs> like my wife. They are risk averse. They want high returns and guaranteed outcomes. And this theory, it tells investors how they combine the stocks, how they combine the bonds in their portfolios to give them the least risk value while still getting a steady return. And not only is this a good strategy, but there's a mathematical justification for a sensible strategy. I, yeah, this, this, I, as soon as you mentioned doing this episode on diversification, I was very into it. Cause I think it's, it's a very important, if I was to build a tiki a tiki hut. This would be one of the, the, this would be one of the poles in that hut. This is a very important part of a portfolio is diversification, because if you're not diverse, you get one, you know, if you only invest in the hotel and the hotel goes down, that's a big loss. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think you're going to want to invest in both of those. And like, this was in, this was this, like the most prosperous era in the U S history was the post-World War II boom. And this theory was developed by Henry Markowitz in the 1950s. And he found a way to make a portfolio of risky stocks, but he combined them in such a way that the risk of the entire portfolio was less than the risk of individual stocks. And like our middle-class consumers through the 60s, 70s, 80s, they gave their money away and their... They're brokers. They more than likely they adhered to this philosophy. Markowitz won the Nobel Prize in economics in 1990, and like risk, like it's it's like the individual stocks they will react to market swings, but the part that is affected by it will be a strength for other companies, and like it's it's not even like that you have to do it correctly. If the, there's something called the correlation coefficient, and that's basically when two stocks move in the same direction, the correlation coefficient is positive. Conversely, two stocks move in opposite directions, the correlation coefficient is negative. There's a scale that this is measured on that goes from negative one to one and historically you'll see that anything below zero is pretty good for your portfolio do we have a are you pausing here or no i'm just reading i was reading the outline i'm sorry i'm I'm sorry it's okay and so like right now where we are in the world, like look back, we talked about it earlier. The first decade of the 21st century 
the American stock market didn't do great. The Japanese and European stock markets didn't do great. But what worked was people who bought into emerging markets, likely through index funds, company, countries that were really making a rise then, like, say, Brazil, Korea, countries that were on fire during then. If you bought in there and you had a little bit of our U.S. market and these emerging markets, your return would be about what you expected through the entire decade. I'm very curious about how, how this has changed throughout the years, though, because I feel like our generation and people our age are more um, not adverse. What's the opposite of adverse? Are more open to risk. I We're think gamblers. We, there's yeah, a correlation well, I think our, between... Absolutely. Like there's an increase in day trading trading that correlates with the pause of professional sports. So it'll be interesting to see that like for me example, like I'm not going to buy a stock today because I'm betting $500 on the Phoenix Suns. Did you bet just them? To, did you bet the money line or did you bet the, uh, uh I bet I, I've got it on both. I've got parlays. I've got straight up. I've got spreads and oh, they're all, all looking pretty good. Knock on wood. Good, good, good. And like this theory, like people know about it because what we said, any information we have, every financial institution has, and it has decreased in efficiency as global markets have developed and now they more closely resemble our own. And you know what? It won't, it won't save your ass in a, in a market tumble. It won't work in two, didn't work in 2008, won't work now. When markets fall together, there isn't really anything you can do to stop it except by going heavy in bonds. Yeah, some bombs or some some falls are so big that even diversification isn't going to be enough. Yeah, and like okay. So you have a you have Tesla stock. You want to protect that asset, but if Tesla loses market share, what event would happen to make them lose market share and who would benefit from Tesla falling off? Uh, maybe, I mean, I don't, this is not going to happen, but, uh, maybe there's the, the Nikola cars. Those are like hydrogen cars. People decide te- like b- electric cars are bad for you. And so hydrogen cars come along and, uh, Tesla falls off and, and then Nikola, uh, jumps. Up. Yeah. But like, you see you, you're married to this Tesla stock moving forward. We, we talk, talk about, about it every week. So what stock would you pick? to go along with your Tesla stock to make sure you'll be fine either way. So I would buy a little Nikola. I would buy NIO out of China. Who's to say that te- that the Chinese will be as beholden to Tesla's charm as U.S. consumers? Not me. So if you're going to have that in portfolio, put in other things to protect that asset and protect your return. You don't want that Tesla stock to bottom out. But if you have other things there you know there will be an electronic vehicle marketplace and you'll get a big piece of that either way. That's true. I did buy NIO and whenever Tesla goes up, uh, NIO seems to jump up as well. So that's a good call that you, I mean, you would nail it when you said that. Yeah, and it's like Amazon, uh, maybe you invest in guns. Uh-huh. Apple, maybe invest in guns. And if you have like a couple things we're bullish on, marijuana ETFs because you should never buy an individual marijuana stock. But the idea goes buying marijuana ETFs right now is like buying alcohol stock during prohibition. So if you wanted to protect your marijuana investments, maybe buy a couple pro for-profit prison stocks. (laughs) Yeah. That just goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast where uh, finances and money are pretty evil. They're evil, but we are aspiring to be evil. Like, we aren't the, like, if this were Satan, we wouldn't be disciples, but we would be Wiccans attending high school, going out to the woods with their Ouija board. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, so do you think, do you feel that our Hold My Bread portfolio is diversified well, or do you think this is a learning, I mean, clearly this is a learning experience for us, but do you think we we need to really improve ourselves um well i think we need to really adhere to these strategies and again we invest because we're already 
doing our primary investments with people who know more than us. So with a little play money like that, I don't know that we necessarily need to diversify. However, we're big in DraftKings. We're big in Twitter. So maybe we invest in Hill Penn, another sports book. Unfortunately, Dave Portnoy, Slimeball of Slimeballs is bullish on them and owns a lot, lot of them. So we'll figure out a way to diversify our portfolio, but it's hard to make those decisions when my cell phone in our portfolio is 30 miles away in Cottonwood, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, hopefully whoever has it is uh, taking care of it and, and monitoring our charts. Yeah. And that's, that's how you know we aren't these big Wall Street sharks. I doubt Patrick Bateman, I doubt Warren Buffett ever have to drive to Cottonwood, Arizona to access their portfolio from Patrick <laughs> the assistant sprint store manager. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Patrick. I almost let him talk me into being a full-time iPad guy. So hopefully we get there soon. Oh man. What, isn't that like, that's like the second time in, in two weeks that the, the iPad on the hip has come up. I think iPad on the hip. I want to look like the CEO of the world's greatest tiling company. That, or you could look like you're always a FedEx guy looking for a signature. Yeah, uh, UPS guy all the way. FedEx, you know, I saw Castaway. I'm scared. Yeah, what can Brown do for me? Get out, get out of my face. I want the arrow to come through. You know what I mean? Brown or the arrow, you decide. We all know it won't be USPS. We don't have coins. We don't have a post office. Why wouldn't our economy be exhibiting growth as seen by our stock market? Yeah, what about the stamps? There's just old people yelling about, but the stamps. I bought all these stamps. Why are they stamps? Yeah, we, have, we don't have stamps, we don't have coins, because all these boomers have coin and stamp collecting hobbies. Yeah, exactly. My mom is sitting on a national treasures level of stamps and coin. All right, well, that is my call from my day job. They are coming in right now. I'm going back to back over here. This was a fun episode, Maddie. Where can we find you? Um, Matt Beck is sucks on Instagram. Um, Matt Beck is sucks on Twitter. No, Matt Beck is on Twitter. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Um, yeah, we're going to put this episode up like right away, I think. So uh, hopefully you can uh, come and uh, support live comedy when it comes back, if it ever comes back. And uh, keep supporting Joel on all his stuff that he keeps doing. He's going to have a rapper on his show. I'm very excited to hear it. That's yeah, it I have. Though. I have. Well, you know what? I do work over at the Props Network. Give Props Network a, fo- a follow. I host NBA and NFL podcasts for them. And I have a game show in action that comes out three times a week as related to the NBA season. So they're all really fun projects, and I hope you check them out. Cool. Yep, that's another episode. I uh, I think that's it for me, though. though. You got anything else? All right. Thank you, sir. Peace. Bye.